Well, good morning. My name's Ross. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'll add my welcome to Todd's. We're glad you're here. And uh, if you're online with us, we're glad you're here this morning. Sorry about the confusion um, about when we'll be on, but moving forward, we're going to be live streaming our 1030 service. So we're glad you're with us here online. If, if you've got your Bibles, go to uh, Psalm chapter 9. That's where we're going to be. And as you're turning there, um, I'll tell you a couple of things related to Psalm chapter 9. The, the first is that um, so a long, long time ago in a galaxy far away, um, about uh, 250 B.C., um, there was, um, as scholars were looking at this, this is before even the time of Christ, but as, as the, the, New Test, the Old Testament continued uh, to be passed on from one generation to another, um, there were um, a lot of, of, of folks that were passing it on that believed that Psalm 9 and 10 uh, went together. And there are a couple of reasons for that. Some of it is there is some um, alliteration that takes place um, with regard to the Hebrew alphabet. And um, while it, it follows like an A, B, C, D all the way through in, in 9, it, it drops off in 10 until you get to the very end. And then it picks back up with that alphabet. There are a couple of other things related to that. One of those is if you've ever noticed in the Psalms, um, if you've got a Bible that has, gives a title to the psalm, then underneath the title before the first verse, um, it, you call it kind of a, a postscript. And, and this one, uh, my title uh, on, on 9 says, I will recount your wonderful deeds. And then it says, to the choir master, according to Mutlaben, a psalm of David. Well, you'll notice in, in, in Psalm 10. Now, not all the psalms have them, but in Psalm 10, there is no uh, script there. And so, that these were really meant to be read together. We're only going to look at Psalm 9. I'll make one reference to Psalm 10, but it um, might help you to know that it, there's possible um, either they went together, at the very least, they've been read together um, throughout the history of the church. This phrase, though, um, according to Mutlaben, now I won't make too much of a, a thing about this, um, it probably means it was a type of music or so, some, you know, instruction to the choir master. It could be, though, that it was, it was meant to be sung in a time of, of sorrow or grief, um, um, a dirge of some sorts. Mutlaben literally means a death to the sun or the death of a son. And, and so maybe it was sung on occasions that felt like that. Either way, what you realize is that Psalm 9 is a psalm that is crying out for justice. That David finds himself um, uh, either, either coming out of a situation or going into a situation or in the middle of a situation that's bringing um, this great national anxiety and, and, and danger and stress. And, and David often felt these times press in on his life. And so he's expressing his need for the Lord to come to the rescue. And so with that, let me pray for us, and then we'll get into Psalm 9. Father, I do pray you would help us this morning. 
pray that as we read these words that you have revealed and inspired and, and preserved, that, Father, we don't, we don't read these alone. We, we have the presence of your Spirit this morning. And, Father, the reality that, that generations, generations upon generations of, of believers have read this psalm, discovered about you that, that you never forget us. Father, that you, you come to our need, that you can be trusted always. And so, Father, I, I pray that you would uh, do a work in strengthening our faith this morning that only you can do. And we pray this the only way we can, in the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of your Spirit. Amen. Well, have you ever gone on vacation and you wanted to take a family picture and you asked a kind-looking stranger to take your iPhone and uh, snap a picture of you? And um, usually there's kind of those awkward moments, you, you know, even today, you, you hope that they know, know how to do it, although everyone does. And then you finally get the picture, and you look at it, and you say, oh, that's great, that's great. But you get home, or you get back to the hotel, or, or whatever, and you begin looking through the pictures. And every now and then, you find that you have a picture that someone has photobombed. You know what that is? Please say yes. All right, good. So, you know, it's when someone shows up, they found themselves at the right place at the right time, and that's standing behind you in the middle of your family picture, and they can't help but, but smile or give you the peace sign or whatever it is that they do. And you, you realize, oh, I didn't even know that person was behind there. Well, in some ways, you can think of Psalm chapter 9 like this, what, what David is, is doing. Let me give you an image that, that you can... You can kind of put these things in, and, and it's like he'd be looking through this photograph of these events in his life, the, this photo album, and what he's realizing is that how he felt in the moment what was a lot like the beginning of, of Psalm 10, where it says, why, O Lord, do you stand far away, and why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? And yet, as he goes back through the photos, what he realizes is that, is that God had photobombed all of those situations. He was there all along. David just didn't recognize it in the moment. And so now what he's doing is he's recounting all the wondrous deeds that God has done as he moves into this situation or looks forward into the future for situations to come. He finds his, his faith being strengthened by remembering who God is and re remembering who God, what God has done. Done. So, so, let's look at this together. Verses 1 and 2, it says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. Not my half heart, but my whole heart. I will recount all of your wondrous deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. In Psalm chapter 9, um, 
part of what David is saying is, I, I haven't seen you all the time, but when I look back, I know that you were there. In other words, David is instructing the people that would sing this coming after him as, the, as they heard the choir sing it, as they, as they sang it to themselves. He's saying, you can trust God further than you can see him. The phrase, it comes from old Matthew Henry commentary. Matthew Henry said it this way. He said, the better God is known, the more he's trusted. Those who know him to be a God of infinite wisdom will trust him further than they can see him. Those who know him to be a God of almighty power will trust him when the creature confidences fail and they have nothing else to trust. And those who know him to be a God of infinite grace and goodness will trust him even though he slay them. And those who know him to be the father of spirits and an everlasting father will trust him with their souls as their main care and trust in him at all times, even to the end. See, what David is saying here is you can trust God further than you can see him. He's going to begin to look through the album. Look at verses 3 through 6. He says, when my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you've maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end and everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. There he is. He looks at the photo probably of a, of a battlefield that he found himself on, and he recounts how the, the enemy was defeated. They got wiped out, their cities, their heritage, their name, their memory. Everything is gone because, because God had shown up, and he was, he was there in the background all along. And the reason that, that he says um, that, that he knows God was there and the reason that God was able to do what he did, he says it in verse 4. He'll say it um, four times throughout this psalm. He says it this way, that you have sat on the throne. David survives his enemies. And the enemies of God perish precisely because the Lord is on his throne, and that's why we can trust him. Then no matter what's going on in our lives, it's because he's on the throne, sovereignly ruling over all the affairs of mankind. In verse 5 and 6, essentially David said, never again can we look on our enemies. They're gone forever, destroyed, disappeared. No one will even think of them again. Even if someone tries to remember them, he's saying, they won't be able to recall them. It's, it's a contrast where the, where the psalmist is, he's recounting the wonderful um, deeds of God and that no one's going to remember the losers. No one remembers those that lose what David is saying. It's like um, 
Remember, anybody in here remember when Nolan Ryan had his 5,000th strikeout? You know, Ricky Henderson was who he struck out, who was a great baseball player. They asked Ricky Henderson, hey, what was it, you know, what do you think about going down in the history books as the 5,000th strikeout? And Ricky Henderson says, hey, look, if he ain't struck you out, you ain't nobody. Notice this. Psalm 8 we looked at last week, and in fact, he starts in the beginning of, of the Bible from Genesis 1. You, you see the thread over and over again throughout the Bible that with a word, God creates life. Do you know what David's saying here in these verses? With a rebuke. God can erase it. What he's saying is that, that God is on the throne. You, you, you find from the New Testament there is one seated at the right hand of the throne. There is one who is, whether you think he is now or he will be in the future, it's a little bit of a... Uh, to how to parse it out, but that Jesus is seated on the throne. In fact, the throne that Jesus is seated on, you know what it's called? It's the Davidic throne. It's interesting, the king here, the king who sits on a throne, says the reason I was saved is because God is on his throne. God's actually on the throne. Seated on this throne, the throne that is, that is to come. Jesus is on the throne. He is on the throne. He is on the throne. And even if you cannot see him in your life, he is on the throne and he's ruling. He's working for your good and for the glory of his Father. That's what it means is that you can trust him further than you can see him. You may not be able to see where your life's going tomorrow or next week or next month or, I mean, isn't that what this whole year's been about, right? We have no idea what tomorrow holds. But you can see far enough to see where history is headed for eternity. Look at what it says in verses 7 and 8. But the Lord, is sits, but the Lord sits enthroned forever. He's established His throne, notice, for justice. And he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. See, in contrast to the enemies being blotted out, the Lord sits enthroned forever. There's no statute of limitations on his rule. There's not a coup that's going to rise up and unseat him. And, and the basis of all of his dealings are justice and righteousness. It's not like any politician we've ever known or ever will. That God deals with every person in the future, and he will do it righteously and with justice. 
And David is saying that the deliverance that he experienced in these verses before that, this three through six, it's like this mini picture. It's like this snapshot. It's, it's like this foreshadowing, this appetizer of the great deliverance that is to come. Every trial he endured and every delivery that he's brought through in his life, it's just a snapshot of what is to come forever. The testimony of Scripture is that the day of judgment is anticipated with great joy for those who love God. All will be set right. If you went to Acts chapter 17, Paul is in Athens and he's on Mars Hill. And what he does is he sets forth and he says, hey, listen, the, 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 the guarantee um, is, uh, the, so the, the, the great day of judgment's coming and the guarantee of this judgment is the resurrection of Jesus. And he states that God has appointed Jesus to be the judge. And then he goes on to, to tell the crowd in Athens, he, he appeals to them to repent because the day of repenting is here. The day of repenting is now because he tells them the day of judgment is already fixed. It's already on the calendar. So everything that we go through in life and every time we experience deliverance, every time we look back and we see that the Lord was there and, and brought us through this victory or brought us through this anxiety or brought us through this grief or brought us through this depression, and we emerge on the other side looking back to see the hand of God in all of that, these are just snapshots of what is to come when His righteousness reigns. It means we can trust Jesus right now in this moment and in this moment all the way to the end of our lives. Look at verses 9 through 12 real quick. He goes, the Lord is a stronghold. He's now telling about who God is, the things that he has learned the things that he has come by faith to understand. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O oh Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell amongst the people his deeds. For he avenges blood, uh, for he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. The, the psalmist, he, David here, he's stating a reality. He, he's saying, listen, the, these facts, so, so the, this is what, who, who God is, what I've come to know about God, this is where my faith is grounded. Even though it doesn't, like he says in, in, in uh, uh, Psalm 10, it doesn't always feel that way. It doesn't always seem that way. But our faith is not grounded in what we feel. Our faith is not grounded in how things seem. Our faith always goes back to what God has promised, not how we feel in the moment. It's our feelings that cause us 
to question. Circumstances will cause us to question and have doubts. But faith, faith that we take, faith means we take God at his word, regardless of how we may feel in the moment or what it looks like in the moment. I tell people all the time, you know, feelings are great. They really are. God created us to be people who have feelings. But they're kind of more like the spice in your life rather than the substance of your nourishment. I mean, feelings are great, but they don't always have to do anything with the facts. You know, the Christian life, listen, the Christian life will always be a life of faith. There's never a time that we grow in our Christian life so much that we no longer need faith. That there's no finish line in this life that you'll ever cross, that, that you, you, you come through and you go, okay, I've, I've done this long enough, I've grown long enough, I've walked with the Lord long enough, I know enough about the Lord now, I don't, I don't need faith anymore. There will never be that time in your life. There will always be the need for faith. I had a professor in seminary, he used to say all the time, he said, you know, listen, God always, always draws you out further than your knowledge of him because he wants you to trust him, believe him for what he's promised. Well, look at how he continues to go. Look at verse 13. He says, Be gracious to me, O Lord. This is what he means when he says, Be gracious. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughters of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. Verse 13, this is, this is the, like the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me. See my affliction. Rescue me. Verse 14, this is the result now. I'm, I'm, I'm going to recount your praises. I'm going to remember them, and I'm going to tell them aloud. Notice he goes from the gates of death to the gates of the daughter of Zion. Out of the affliction to the place of recounting the works of God and Rejoicing in salvation. Salvation, this delivery, this victory. David's saying, listen, I was losing, I was failing, I was dying. God rescued me, delivered me, brought me to victory. And that's the story of deliverance for every one of us. It begins with our weakness. It begins with our peril. And it ends with God as the deliverer. If he didn't show up, David says, I'd be, I'd be toast. You know, to know this deliverance of God so oftentimes for us means that we experience these gates of death. We come to the end of ourselves. We come to the absolute end of all of our strength into this valley of weakness. And it is there we find ourselves delivered. Look at verse 15 to the end. He says this, The nations have sunk in the pit they made. The net they hid, their own foot has been caught. 
The Lord has made himself known. He's executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. Gayon, Selah. Breathe that in for a moment. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations know they are but men. David can't stop thinking about all the ways that God has delivered in the past and all the ways he was there when, when he couldn't see it. And it gives him assurance, the assurance that he needs, that the Lord's with him right now. He will deliver him, even though maybe he can't see it today. Listen to what he says, to the oppressed, he's a stronghold. To the afflicted, he avenges. He's mindful. He does not forget. To those that are hated, he lifts out from, up from the gates of death. He saves. To the needy, you are not forgotten. To the poor, he satisfies your hopes and your expectations. You know, when Jesus is with his disciples the night before he's going to be arrested, he tells them, you can find all this in John 14 through 16. And he tells them, he says, I'm, I'm going to go away, and it is good that I go away because um, I'm going to send another. I'm going to send a helper. And he's going to help you. One, remember all the things I've said. Second, understand all the things that I've said. He's going to empower you. The very spirit that has empowered me, he is going to come and empower you. And by the way, in this world, you'll have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. He's with his disciples after the resurrection on the Mount of Galilee. And he says to them, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I, I am with you always. Jesus is always with his people, even when you can't see him. The needy are not forgotten. The hope of the poor does not perish. How does David know this? One, because he knows God. Two, because he's flipped through the photo album of his life and he's seen he's been there at every turn. Let me give you two encouragements this morning and then we'll, we'll part from each other until next week. By the way, come next week. Don't miss next week, all right? And bring your friends and then, and then social, appropriately socially distanced from them. 
no better way to empty a sanctuary than to send out an email about social distancing and mask wearing. But anyways, all right, here we go. Two things. Here are two photo albums in your life that I want to commend to you this morning. One of them is the Word of God, the Bible, what you hold in your hands. The word, it's full of these pictures. I mean, you flip through and you see the faithfulness of God and you're encouraged to trust Him and you, and you, and you see uh, the character of God and you hear the promises of God and you, listen, you, you know God from reading His Word like no other way that you'll know God. In fact, I would say it's hard, it's hard, you're hard-pressed to know Him apart from His Word. Listen, I'm not saying you have to sit down and you have to read for an hour. I'm not saying you have to sit down and, and read through First and Second Chronicles all in one shot. In fact, I'd say don't do that. But if, this is, if you find this um, a, a hard place to be, you, you, you don't find yourself drawn here for whatever reason, let me just encourage you. Give yourself 10 minutes to his word a day. Just start there. 10 minutes, you can do that. And I'm not saying you have to understand everything you read. I don't even know that that's the prerequisite. The Bible is like no other thing you'll ever lay your eyes on in your whole life because it is living, it is active, it is sharper than a two-edged sword. Maybe you don't understand it, but I promise you the Bible understands you. When you read it, it reads you back. And what you'll find, maybe not every day, but there will be that day. Maybe it doesn't come until Thursday or Friday for you this week. But at some point, chapter Psalm 9, verse 10, you'll see what David means. And those who know your name put their trust in you. It's the way you move into this knowledge, this first name basis with God. If you're not spending time here, I promise you, your view of God is he is out there. The more time you spend here, you realize, oh, he's, he's right here. He's never left me, never forsaken me. He's indwelled me by his Holy Spirit. And you begin to read this word and you realize this, the Spirit of God is, is there and, you, and all of a sudden you see things you, you understand things that you know in your own self you're, you're not you're not in tuned enough to hear or smart enough to understand it happens to me all the time I commend to you to treasure God's Word. Secondly, a far second, a distant back seat. I'll say to, to you, if, if you don't journal or keep a diary or something like that, it's a great thing to do. You know, where, you, where you're writing down maybe how you feel about something or this difficult time that you're going through or some anxieties or a decision or a it's like taking a snapshot of a moment and, and then being able to look back or, 
or, or, or to live through and record how God intervenes or, or just exactly what God was up to that you could have never imagined, but now you see so much more clearly. You, 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 see, um, um, you see that Jesus is there photobombing your life right now and you had no idea that he was even in the picture. Could try it this way. I had a, another professor in seminary. They did a blessing box, a little box, little sheets of paper that sat out there with a little pencil, and all of them in their family, the, the parents, the kids, and something happened or had a something unusual, uh, you know, come through, or an anxiety relieved, or a, or a you know a, a test passed, or, or whatever it was, and it's walk by the box, and they'd write the little blessing down and uh, fold it up and put it in the box, and then at Thanksgiving, they'd sit around the table and open the box and read through the blessings of the year. I'm telling you, you don't think that would encourage you? Journaling in whatever form you do, I'll tell you, I'll go ahead and confess to you, I think it's a great thing to do, and I'm terrible at it. But when I've journaled, I get to go back and I get to see things that I'd forgotten. I went back, I was looking at my journal from 2008. <laughs> I'd forgotten what a hard year that was, at least at that time, I thought. And yet how the Lord answered every single one of the things that I could not get my head around. He answered them abundantly, uh, more than I could have ever possibly asked, imagined, or could have conceived at the time. So encouraging. I just did that yesterday in preparation for this. I was going to read something out of it, but I decided, no, I'm not. It's my journal. It's not yours. I was, I was reminded, you can trust God further and you can see him. You know, it'd be great if we had um, every event of our lives on a little Polaroid picture, you know, and a, and a set of photos that came to us, and it was everything that was, that was going to happen in our lives. You know, a photo of every situation and circumstance and relationship and, and trial that we would go through in the future, you know, ahead of time so we could see how it all works out. And it'd be awesome. And I'll tell you what you'd see. You'd see that, you'd see that God was in every one of those pictures. He was in every situation working out his glory and your good, every detail in your life, he's there, even if you don't notice him. Well, the thing is, we don't have cameras that take pictures of the future. Not yet, anyway. But we don't need them. We can trust God further than we can see him in the future. We can trust him now. We can trust his promises. We can trust who he is, what he has done, and what he will do. 
If you would, would you bow with me and let's pray. Father, I ask that you would do what only you can do. That you, you would strengthen our faith this morning. That by your spirit, your word would, would draw us further than our current understanding and knowledge of you, but Father, drawing us into the believing and trusting, depending on, counting on the promises that you've made. Father, believing that even right here in this moment, whatever this moment looks like, for each of us, you are here, even if, even if we can't see you. Father, grant us the faith to trust you. Nurture us by your word this morning. Kindle in us a desire to know you more. Draw us to your word. Father, draw us to your son. And if there's anybody here and they're with us or they're listening and they've never trusted your son, they've never by faith received the gift that you sent in your, in your son who came to live and to, and to die and, and was resurrected, who became our sin, who died for our sins so that we could be cleansed and know life. Father, I pray you would grant faith this morning to believe, to, to take hold of what you have given and what you have promised. And Father, we ask all this the only way we can. In the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of your Spirit.